Merkel Media. You know, uh, Patrick, I, I got to tell you something, man. Uh, you can add me to the list of people who've interviewed you that have had weird things happen. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long, bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach us that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. If you want more shows every week on Thursdays, we drop a bonus show for members only on the website and the app. With memberships, you get access to those bonus shows. You get access to the overtime episodes and you get access to the Tuesday shows ad free. So if that interests you, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member. And also we have preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's preparewiththeconfessionals.com. There's a lot of things going on in the world that leave people uncertain. So make sure that you're not uncertain with the idea of taking care of your family. So whether it's the food or survival gear, we got you covered at preparewiththeconfessionals.com. You can get yourself some food that will last up to 25 years on the shelf and survival gear. It's all right there at preparewiththeconfessionals.com. Also, friends, go to the YouTube channel, The Confessionals. Hit subscribe because we are gearing up to release the documentary of the Kentucky Dog Man that we did back in October. It's getting close to being finished right now. And when we drop that documentary, it will be on YouTube, on the Confessionals YouTube channel. And that week, we will change the channel name to Merkel Media. Also, friends, follow us on the socials, not just YouTube, but also Instagram. The Confessionals is on Instagram. We are so close to breaking 10,000 followers, friends. So please help us reach that goal of 10,000 followers on Instagram. Go ahead and follow us there. And follow Legion of Legends on Instagram as well. Legion underscore of underscore legends. Thank you very much. Now, this week we have Patrick coming on the show. And Patrick has had some very bizarre 
very interesting paranormal hauntings in his life that kind of tie together. Patrick has been on other people's podcasts, and he told me that whenever he does an interview, a lot of times the host of that show will experience something paranormal leading into the interview or after the interview. And when he said that, I was like, well, you can add me to the list. You're going to hear about it all on this episode because some bizarre thing, well, I should say a bizarre thing happened to me and my wife the day of this interview. You'll hear me talk about it right here on this episode. But before we get to Patrick, I want to play you guys a promo of that Men in Black documentary that I told you I was on as a narrator. I think I said it right this time. Everybody keeps telling me I say it wrong. I don't know. I just speak for a living, but I don't speak too good. Narrator. I think I said it right that time. Anyways, that's what I was on this documentary. And the documentary is called Who Saw the Men in Black? The links are in the description below. You can go ahead and purchase it on Amazon Prime and check out this new documentary, Who Saw the Men in Black? So we're going to check out this trailer and then we're going to get to Patrick right now. What are the men in black? People have been reporting their own men in black experiences and eyewitness accounts since the beginning of the UFO cover-up history. The burning question in most people's minds surrounding the infamous MIB accounts is... What are the men in black? Well, the men in black is a concept that's been in the UFO field since really the beginning of the UFO field, essentially. Um, there are cases where a UFO witness or someone who has some connection to the UFO phenomenon uh, is then accosted by usually two individuals and either warn them off of their investigation or will actually make it very clear to them that they're dealing with a UFO phenomenon. But in all cases, the idea is to scare off or intimidate the witness so that they don't pursue whatever it is that they're looking into. Yeah, it, it, it all seems uh, pretty horrible, especially if they uh, uh, threaten you or threaten your family, and, uh, and you're not sure if they're from another planet or not. Historical accounts of the men in black recall the overwhelming sensation of fear experienced by those who have had prior encounters with UFOs or something out of the extraordinary. This fear is a tool used to suppress an incredible UFO event from the public. What are their true goals? Are they outdated military relics from the past? Or are they covertly influencing today's society through misinformation, fake news? Well, let me tell you, Jim, I've had um, visits from government agents, uh, various alphabet-type organizations uh, connected to the work that I do here. And... They are, uh, even though they seem easygoing and very nice guys, there is no question about it, Jim. I'm just talking about normal government agents here. In black suits, you know they're carrying. Uh, they've got a sort of a, a serious, uh, we're here and you don't want to mess with this kind of attitude about them. And even though they're very nice uh, and, and very calm, there's no question about the fact that there is an aura of intimidation that you could cut with a knife. All right, today we got Patrick Meekin on the show. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you know, uh, I think there are quite a few listeners that have been wanting this to happen for a while because uh, you've had people contacting you about coming on my show. I've had people contacting me about getting you on my show, and and here we are. I think it's a perfect you know match made in heaven. So 
Very good. I'm excited about it. And uh, you are an author of uh, two different books, Nightmare in Holmes County and 225th Street. And they kind of, you said they pa- kind of parallel each other and run, run into each other as far as stories go. Uh, yes. are th- these two books, from what I understand, are uh, true stories based off of your own personal experiences, right? Absolutely. Okay. So I, you and I were talking before we hit record. I want to start off with the first book, Nightmare in Holmes County, and have you kind of just start us off with the story of these paranormal experiences you've had and uh, how, you know, the whole thing progresses in your life. But before we get into you telling these stories, if you could uh, let the audience know, you know, where they can, you know, purchase your books and get a hold of your content, maybe even connect with you on social media. Okay. Uh, as far as social media, I am on Facebook. Um, I look through all my uh, friend requests. I generally accept them, unless they're you know from uh, Indonesia or something. <laughs> so, somebody that I uh, you yeah. know think is probably just spam or something. Um, so you can connect with me uh, right now. I'm just on Facebook, uh, but uh, the books are available. Uh, both books are available at Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle versions. That's awesome. So uh, Amazon.com, Kindle versions. I mean, there's a lot of people that use Kindles to list, uh, to read books and stuff. So uh, check it out, everybody who is listening right now. Now, Patrick, uh, this house that we're starting off with, The Nightmare in Holmes County, the first book, uh, from what I understand, this is actually a house that, was, that you were having built from the ground up, right? So it doesn't kind of fit the traditional mold of uh, haunted houses, right? It definitely does not. Um, and it was very deceptive when you're in that environment and everywhere you look is something new. It's a house that, you know, me and my ex-wife designed. We It was built the way we wanted it built, you know, and, and everywhere I looked, it was new, you know, new, new wood flooring, new carpet, new everything. We painted the inside of the house ourselves. We did a lot of the woodwork ourselves, you know. So when you're looking at, around and you're th- having paranormal experiences in that house, it's very uh, deceptive. It really makes you question your sanity. There are things that happen that you just can't, you're scratching your head. You just cannot figure them out, you know, but um, yes, we did build the house or we had it built and we did a lot of the work ourselves. And uh, we, we bought the land in late 2001. Uh, we, we were looking for a piece of land in that area, somewhere around that area. It was kind of halfway between where she worked and where I worked. And uh, we found our builder actually directed us to this plot of land. Now, our builder was uh, not Amish, but he was formerly Amish. He was raised Amish and he, quote, jumped the fence, as they say, um, when they um, leave the Amish church. He remained friendly with the Amish. And he subcontracted a lot of jobs to the Amish. So he, he directed us to this other piece of land. And we were told that um, uh, we, we were told basically that the, the people that were selling it were a young couple who bought it and they were only selling it for what they paid for it because their family had... Uh, the, the, the woman's family had given them a piece of land. So we believed that um, my, my now ex-wife actually made an offer on the land one day while I was at work, I wasn't even involved. I came home wow. and she brought the for sale sign when 
when she came, she got home a little bit after me, she came in with a for sale sign and said, I just got the land, you know? So we were pretty happy. And then the following year, 2002, we began building. They broke ground early in the year, began building. And in March, I got a very strange phone call from the builder. And I was at work. It was a Saturday night. And he called me and he said, um, I have really bad news. And he said, I did not have the heart to call your wife and tell her I didn't want to upset her. But he said, uh, a storm hit and your house is demolished. Well, by that time, the, you know, obviously the footer was poured, the brick wall or the block walls were all laid. The basement was completely finished or, uh, you know, as far as the walls and the construction, the, it was a uh, two-story house. It was completely framed up. And, uh, you know, so they were moving along quite well with the construction and it was completely flattened. And, uh, you know, we got pictures of it, which I did share in the book at the time I thought, well, it was bad news, a bad storm hit and demolished our house, you know, but he kept saying to me now at this point, this gentleman was in his sixties. He had been building since he was probably 10 or 12 or something, you know, doing construction because the Amish start their children out doing manual labor at very young ages. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he kept saying to me, I have never seen anything like this. He said, in all my years of building, I have never seen anything like this. So we still, we just thought, well, it's bad luck, whatever. It's okay though. They, they tore away all the old wood auctioned it off. Cause there was a lot of wood that was, you know, used in that construction that was smashed. So they started over and, you know, there, there are multiple kind of oddball things that happened while the house was being built. Um, one day I would stop in on, uh, the crew and see how they were doing. Um, you know, I remember one time I took them like lemonade or something cause it was super hot out, you know, just to be nice, but to check up with the progress of the building. And one day in particular, there was a very strange individual that I named Abe in the book. Uh, now, the books are completely true, 100% true. I only changed people's names just to protect their identities. It's the only thing that is not exactly as I remembered it. But um, this gentleman's name in the book is Abe. And Abe was a very strange individual. And I, I stopped one day and he was sitting there at lunchtime in a garage. And I was talking to the builder and Abe seemed very uncomfortable. And he, he had a very strange look on his face. His eyes were big. He, he just seemed very uncomfortable. And uh, now this was nearing the end of the building of the house when this happened. <clears throat> and all of a sudden he blurts out, there was a man here last night. So I'm thinking back and I'm thinking, okay, my ex-wife had her friend meet her here and her friend's boyfriend came along and they looked at the house. She showed him, you know, our, the house is being built. And I said, well, I'm sure that's all it was. And I, you know, I kind of explained what I thought he was talking about. And he said, no, that is not what I'm talking about. He said, um, no, this gentleman lived on a hill. We lived in a valley. He lived up on a hill that oversaw the valley. He could see my house from his parents' house where he lived. His parents were Amish, but he was not. Um, he explained that he had to, had to take his car to the garage uh, the previous night to be worked on. So he, he took the shortcut, which goes right down his lane and then cuts across the road I lived on, which was an old township road and then uh, intersects with route 62. 
in uh, in in Holmes County there. And right off of 62, there is a, a, a garage that does car work and it's a gas station and whatnot. So he explained that he took his car to that garage the previous evening, dropped it off. But he said when he came home, instead of taking that shortcut, which made the whole drive just a little bit over a mile, he walked the long way home, which when you go the long way, you're adding, you know, a substantial amount of mileage to your walk, probably two miles or something. So he said that when he drove by the house, taking his car in, he saw a man hiding in the brush, watching the house. And he said, he looked very scary. And he said, when I came back, he said, I did not want to walk past him. And he said, I, I, I walked the long way home because I didn't want to see him again. I, he was so scary looking. And I was like, well, I have guns. I said, if somebody comes around my house and, and it threatens me or my wife, they're getting shot. You know, it's that simple. And the builder's like, well, that's right. A man's got to protect his family, you know. Well, this individual did not seem comfortable with that either. But um, he stuck to his story. And I just thought it was something, you know, peculiar. I did not know what to make of it. Well, a- after the house was built, um, you know, there, I will say this as, as we were doing the woodwork and I would go to the house at night, usually late, I always felt like I was being watched, you know, and, and I, and I would think, well, this house is in the middle of nowhere. I'm not familiar with this area. This is Amish country. Um, you know, there's not anybody even close to me. It's pitch black outside, you know, there's farms off in the distance, but you know, I'm here alone. That's all it is. I'm just, that's all, all that's wrong, but I would always feel watched. So I started taking a boom box, you know, the old portable radios and I would play uh, Christian music, like worship music. Uh, Well, I did my work and that did seem to help kind of took the edge off of those uncomfortable feelings. So the house then was eventually finished and we moved in uh, early fall, 2002. And some strange things would happen. Like, you know, my, my wife at that time, she would say, when you're at work at night and I'm here alone, I hear noises that sound like the house is haunted. That's her exact words. She said, something's wrong. So we called house inspectors. Now, I do not mean uh, paranormal investigators. I mean, inspectors that look for um, construction issues. And they came and they did point out several uh, things that were not done correctly that needed fixed. And I found it strange that some of the things the builder had done, because there were some areas where he went above and beyond in his construction. It was, he did a wonderful job. And then some really odd places where he took shortcuts, which were now causing issues. So I thought that was strange, but we ended up getting an attorney. Uh, We were trying to get him to fix everything. And, uh, you know, we were just having all kinds of, uh, issues with that. And I got to the point where I didn't even trust our attorney. He was from Holmes County and I didn't even trust him. So we just dropped it. And I, I paid a couple older gentlemen from my church that uh, were, you know, had done construction for years. They came in, we paid them, they fixed everything. So early 2003, you know, I'm thinking, okay, everything's fantastic. Now there's not going to be any more issues. Everything's good. You know? So Basically, after that, you know, the, a lot of the scary noises weren't there anymore because there were issues that have been fixed. 
But I had a very strange experience one night, and, and it really left me scratching my head. Uh, we had a room when you came out of the garage. Uh, we called it the mud room. And it was a small room with a utility tub, a washer and dryer, and a, and a closet. And that is where we, we had a couple cats, and that's where we fed the cats. They had their litter box was in the closet. Their food and water dishes were sitting off to the side by the utility tub. And uh, I was in that room feeding the cats one night before I went to bed. And the dryer door opened by itself. And I thought, I have never seen a dryer door open by itself. I mean, the way they latch shut, that is, uh, that's pretty crazy. You know, how does that even happen? So I found that to be, uh, you know, definitely interesting. And, and I did think it was paranormal, but uh, I just tried to move on and not, you know, not psych myself out over that. As time went on, there were more small experiences that just seemed very strange. They, it seemed like something wasn't right. Over time, uh, me and my now ex-wife uh, began not getting along. There be, began to be a lot of problems. Uh, multiple times she was physically violent. Um, you know, lots of strange things as far as that, but it did seem to be escalating one night. I again was feeding the cats late at night. And at this time we had a big tabby cat named Moses, a very small kitten named Zoe. She was a calico. So tabbies and calicos do not look alike, you know, and she was very little and I put food in their dish. And at this time, this was late at night, and my, my wife was upstairs in bed. She was already asleep. And I put food in the cat's dish down in the mudroom, and I saw Zoe, this little calico, come running in and go to the food dish. I looked right at her, and I thought, how cute. You know, she was sitting there eating, and she was just as cute as can be. And I thought, I, I remember it plain as day, how cute. I walked out of the room. I walked through the house into the foyer. I walked through the foyer, turned to go upstairs. And there was Zoe on the top step, just sitting there staring at me. And she was sitting like she had been there a while. And I thought that is impossible. That's impossible. She was just in there eating. She can't be two places at once. That's impossible. So I thought, okay, that had to be Moses that came into the room and ate. But I mean, I knew Moses and Zoe didn't look alike and he was much larger. So I walked up the stairs past Zoe, walked across the landing, opened the bedroom door, and there was Moses sleeping on the bed with my wife. The next day I was like, okay, she's going to think I am crazy, but I am going to tell her what happened. I mean, I, I can't, I cannot figure this out. I cannot understand how that could have happened. So we were driving somewhere and I started talking to her about it and I explained exactly what had happened. And when I told her, you know, that I had thought it was Moses and then I opened the bedroom door and Moses was in the bedroom. She says, Oh, don't even tell me that. Don't even tell me that. And I thought she was going to say, you are crazy, you know? And then the next thing she says, was there are times when you're at work and I'm at home alone and I'm downstairs on the elliptical and I will see Moses run past out of the corner of my eye. And I think there's Moses. And then I look and he's not there. And I remember that he's upstairs and we don't even allow him in the basement. Wow. 
So at that point, I was like, okay, something's wrong. You know, we both started watching paranormal shows like A Haunting and uh, Ghost Hunters because not that I agreed with everything that was on those shows, but at least they were validating that hauntings are real and the people that experience real legitimate hauntings are not crazy. You know, these things really do happen, you know, because you really start to question your sanity. So as time wears on, you know, there's more and more experiences in the house. And uh, she eventually, I come home one day in October. It, by this time now, it's 2006. And I came home from work and she was not there. She was gone. I knew she left. I knew that was the end of everything. Um, and uh, I finally was able to contact her. I think it was a couple of days later. And she told me that now we had been having problems. We had been going to counseling. I, I feel like that was, uh, she was just going through the motions to make it look good, I guess. But she told me when I finally contacted her that the previous night at three o'clock in the morning, she heard someone ring the doorbell and then let themselves in the house. And I said, that did not happen. I said, I was downstairs sleeping on the couch. That did not happen. I said, I would have heard somebody come in the house. I certainly didn't let someone in the house. And she said, well, I heard it. And I said, I'm sorry, but that did not happen. Now, she then told me that she wanted a divorce. So by the time I hung up the phone, my head was spinning, you know, not only, okay, I'm getting a divorce, but also, you know, the you know, it came to my mind, well, she never really accused me of letting anyone in the house. She's saying they let themselves in the house, you know, and she swears she heard it. Um, so that, that was somewhat strange, you know. Um, it seemed like then I ended up divorcing February 1st, 2007. And it seemed like between the time that she left and that the divorce was final, I was there alone. And it seemed like the activity really kind of tapered off. So I thought, well, she was up, she was into something and she brought stuff into our home and that caused these issues. And I really thought, okay, that makes sense. You know, well, after the divorce was final, it was like all hell broke loose. I began having more, uh, very unnerving experiences that could not be explained. You know, one of the first was, uh, February 11th, 2007. It was a Sunday uh, afternoon. I, I, was, I slept in that day. And when I woke up, my house was freezing. And uh, we had had a substantial amount of snow beginning on Friday, the previous Friday. And I had brought my dogs into the garage. I had cages in there for them. I, I had built them a big dog kennel out back, but I brought them in when it was cold. And uh, I brought them in on Friday. And... Um, so I wake up Sunday, it's freezing in the house. And I'm like, what is going on? I just checked the uh, propane tank a couple of, you know, well, now I checked it last week and it was at uh, like 40%. Well, that's a thousand gallon propane tank. So I got 400 gallons. There's no way I went through 400 gallons of propane in that amount of time. So, you know, I didn't know what to make of it. So I called my propane supplier and I thought, you know, maybe he'll know, you know, maybe I, I need, maybe I do need propane. Maybe my needle on my gauge of my tank was stuck and it really was going empty. So he told me, he said, I will bring you out propane today, but I will have to charge extra because it's an emergency delivery. 
And he said, but before we get to that, you need to go out and check the vent on your regulator. He said, with all this snow, maybe your vent froze over and it's, you know, stopping the propane. Well, I didn't even know what that meant, but I was taking, I was taking his word for it. And he said, uh, he said, can you walk out to your regular, uh, your regulator? He said, it's mounted on the side of your house. He said, can you go out that with the phone and I'll walk you through this. So I take my cordless phone. I walk outside. All of this snow is completely undisturbed. The snow is very deep, but it's completely undisturbed. Okay. I go over to the regulator. I gently push the snow away from the regulator and the pipe that connected the, uh, the regulator to the underground tank. And as I push the snow away, I look and there's a shutoff valve on that um, pipe and it is turned sideways. So he's explaining something. And I said, wait a second. I said, I explained about the shutoff valve and I said, could that have been installed wrong? He said, no, you can't install a shutoff valve wrong. He said, if that's turned sideways, that's your problem. You shut off your propane. And I said, I never touched this. And he said, okay, I believe you, but somebody did. And I said, you don't understand. I had heat last night. I had heat, you know, uh, yesterday. I don't have heat today. And I said, the snow is completely undisturbed. There's no footprints. There's nothing, but this is shut off. And he said, I can't explain that. But he said, if you turn it back on, you'll hear the propane go through the, the pipe. And then he said, go in and light your pilot light and you'll be fine. So that's what I did. It was exactly as he said. So I'm left with how did a shutoff valve on a pipe going into my regulator for my heat for my house get turned off while it's under snow, but the snow is never disturbed. It's, it's impossible, but it happened. So at that point, you know, there were, there was no question. I was like, okay, I've had all these experiences, but this one takes the cake. So basically from that point on, it was just like one thing I was there from, you know, by myself from 2006 in October until, uh, February of 2010. And I had a lot of experiences during that time. I listed the house for sale, you know, because after the divorce, I had assumed all marital debt because I knew that the house and property values had gone through the roof from since the time that we bought the property. So I knew that um, there was a lot of equity in the house. So I, uh, I thought, well, I'll sell it, you know, and I'll walk away from it, put all this negative stuff behind me. I listed the house, <laughs> the activity continued. I had no luck trying to sell the house. Um, you know, it was just like one disappointment after another. It, it was kind of the perfect storm in, in many ways, but you know, the housing market did collapse during that time that did not help, but, uh, lots of, I had lots of paranormal experiences. Um, I come to realize that the Amish around me, I had a lot of problems with, and, uh, I came to the realization that, you know, the public doesn't want to believe this, but the Amish are heavily involved in the occult and witchcraft really? to me. I don't know why anybody would have trouble believing that. I mean, they, they believe they have to live like it's, you know, 1750, uh, or they can't go to heaven. You know, that that's a, uh, a works-based gospel. That is not Christianity. But I, I come to find out that it is much more sinister than that, that, you know, they are 
I'm not saying every one of them does it, but it's very prevalent in the Amish community to practice witchcraft and Satanism. Yeah, you know what? And, uh, I, I would. I, I actually want to kind of back you up on that just a little bit because I, I was surprised when you first said that, but now that I think about it, if they're living their lives like that uh, of you know 1700s, 1800s kind of thing, especially 1700s, um, I mean, it, it, here in Pennsylvania. We have a lot of Amish people, but Lancaster County's, you know, known. Uh, And in this area in Pennsylvania, there's a deep history of witchcraft, powwows, hexing. And that was very big amongst the the communities back then. So uh, it actually that actually makes a lot more sense. Once you said that, I started thinking like, you know what? That sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is true, you know. All right, let's take a second and talk about our first sponsor of today's show, which is Cerebro. Let me hit you with some stats here, friends, some real-life applicable stats. Did you know that last year, the rates of anxiety and depression doubled in the United States last year? I wonder why that is. Also, did you know that psychiatrist visits can cost up to $500 per session, and then traditional therapy visits are over $100 per session? That can actually add up to thousands of dollars a year, and you can save a lot of money using Cerebral. They have affordable treatments that are one-third of the price of traditional therapy, and treatment options are available without insurance. They've made it very easy for you to use this service. Now, what is Cerebral? Cerebral is an online mental health service that provides prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. What's really great about Cerebral is they're one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships the medication straight to your door. No more having to wait in lines at pharmacies because you all know how long those lines get. Even the drive-through lines are super long. With Cerebral, they'll ship your medication right to your front door. And that is a convenience, but it's not the only convenience they have. Because of the therapy and counseling that they offer online, you can do it from the comfort of your own home at your own time frame, wherever you feel comfortable. It is a great convenience that you don't have to worry about going to somebody's office, waiting until it's your turn to go inside. You can actually just do it right from your own home on a time frame that works best for you in the most comfortable spot. This is a groundbreaking company doing new and improved things for a modern world. And I started this whole commercial off with stats. And let me finish it off here with stats. 51% of the patients report feeling less depressed in 60 days. 70% of patients choose Cerebral because it's the most convenient option. And 75% of patients report improvement in 60 days. Those are some great stats to keep in mind when you're looking into Cerebral. And right now, for our listeners of this program, you can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at GetCerebral.com slash Tony. Go to GetCerebral.com slash Tony for 65% off your first month. That's just a total of $30 to get started. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. I was messed with very, very heavily by the Amish. And, you know, for being peace-loving people as they claim, it's unthinkable. Some of the things I've documented in the book. And again, I, like I said, I I'm telling you hundred percent truth. This is exactly what happened. But, uh, you know, I, I found on my one neighbor's property and I had helped this guy many times. He was the, the brother of this strange guy named Abe that had helped build my house. And he built a house just up uh, um, a little ways past my house up on a hill that this other gentleman did. 
And he always acted nice to my face, but I did not trust him at all. And uh, I found on his property right at the road, a cow skull hanging from a tree. And I thought when I found that I, I had continually at that time kept having very strange things happen to me that I could not explain lots of weird things. And uh, basically I come to realize this guy's a witch, you know, he actually is a witch and that's why that cow skull is hanging from the property. And I did some research and found out that a lot of times witches will mark their property that way. So I found out that is true. Well, just past where he built his house, there was a clearing. And when we moved into the house, we always thought that was just a place where kids went to party. That's all we thought it was. We knew we heard noises coming from that area over the hill. You know, we could hear them, but we always just thought it was where kids went to party. Well, I found out that was a, a satanic meeting site right by his house. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I came to the realization that, okay, a lot of these things I'm experiencing, this is, uh, this is directly related to witchcraft. There, there was another Amish individual who wanted a right of way that was, that went the entire length of my property because he had bought a piece of land that part of it was landlocked because of a large creek that was just below my property called Crabapple Creek. So very, you know, good water supply, fairly large creek. And he didn't want to build a bridge. So he wanted me to give him a right away. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. You've put in a lane that, that devalues my property. I'm not doing that. And he didn't even want to buy it from me. He wanted me to give it to him. And I told him no. And the activity, he came back and asked repeatedly. The activity escalated more after I told him no. Um, him and his family would trespass on my property uh, frequently. You know, lots of problems there. There was one time I was sitting in my office in my, it was at the front of my house and, you know, the, the blinds and the, the curtains were open and it was a sunny day. And I saw a shadow move across my wall, which is exactly what happens when somebody's walking across my porch or walking down the sidewalk to step up on my porch to knock on the door. So I jumped up, ran out, ran to the door thinking somebody's here. Uh, there was no one. I went out. I looked around outside. There was no one. I go back in and, you know, a little while later, I'm standing in my kitchen, just thinking about how strange that was. And my doorbell rings. So I go to the door and it's him. It's the same individual. And I said, um, he was there to ask for a right away again. <laughs> and I said to him, um, were you here a few minutes ago? And he said, no, I just pulled up just now. Right there's my bike. His bike sitting down at the end of the sidewalk. He said, I wasn't here. He goes, um, I was at home still 10 minutes ago, you know. So it was very strange that that shadow coincided with him then visiting me. I later found out from another person in the area who had, quote unquote, jumped the fence and became Christian, that the Amish church teaches witchcraft. That individual's um, that individual uh, actually was a witch. His daughter was a witch. There was a form of witchcraft they practiced that had to be passed on generation to generation. And it was always passed on from one uh, parent to the opposite sex member child. And this individual that was, you know, explaining that all to me said that 
this guy, this witch's daughter had gotten so heavily into witchcraft that he said, she's in an asylum. Now he said, she's a, she lost her mind. And I said, well, you know what that is. That's it's, it's demon possession. And he said, I agree, but he told me a lot of this stuff and he confirmed a lot of things. And I had a lot of other confirmation as well, which is, it's all documented. Believe me, there's a lot of details I'm leaving out for time's sake, but uh, many, many paranormal experiences that are, you know, very unnerving to be quite honest. But um, in, in the fall of 2009, I started down a path that I think led to my deliverance. Um, I think part of it started with me. Uh, I did a fast, which I don't normally fast. And I did do a fast. And after that, there were things that kind of happened that I think were stepping stones to me getting completely delivered of the whole situation. But uh, in during that time, you know, when the devil knows his time is short, he fights harder. And there was an incident. Um, my realtor, who I fully trusted, I had hired her to represent me. Um, she came to me and said that somebody wanted to uh, look at my uh, land. I, I, I had the house listed as one uh, listing and then four acres listed as another listing. And she said that someone wanted to look at my four acres and that they wanted, uh, you know, they, they sounded really interested. And, and then she said, they'll be coming out Tuesday night to look at your property. And I said, well, I'm, I'm teaching guitar lessons that night. I'd started a little side business and, uh, she said, that's okay. I'll be there and I'll take care of everything. So she did. I never saw the people the next day she called me and told me that they made an offer. Now I know what the land values were and they were pretty high. And their offer was insulting. And it was basically what I had paid for the land before the uh, values went sky high. And I told her, I said, you know, that that's an insulting offer. I'm not interested. And I, I said, is this person Amish that's making this offer? She denied it. No, they're not Amish. They're not Amish. And then uh, she said, well, the bank wants to come and appraise your property. And I said, that doesn't even make sense to me. I said, the bank doesn't come and do an appraisal unless we are, there's actually going to be a sale. I said, we're not even negotiating right now. I said, that offer was insulting. And I said, um, that doesn't make sense. And I, I said, is he Amish? She said, no, no, he's not Amish. I said, what bank is he using? And she said, she hesitated for a long time. And then she said, the Amish Helps Fund. Now, the Amish Helps Fund is a, it goes by different names, but that's basically what they call it. It's, it's a bank. It's recognized as a bank, and it is over all the Amish and Mennonite churches. And it gives the loans to the Amish and Mennonite. Everybody pays into it. They give the loans to people for houses, properties, businesses, and et cetera. So uh, at that point, I, I said, so he is Amish. And then she admitted that he was, I was very upset. And I, I, you know, I explained to her, um, that I didn't want to ever talk to the guy. I, I was not interested in dealing with him. He, and that, uh, basically don't, don't contact me again. And, uh, that night, of course, I'm very upset. You know, I, I know I'm being messed with now. This is after a lot of harassment from the Amish over the years that I'd had the house listed. And uh, I couldn't sleep. And I was watching a video by a minister named Perry Stone on purging your house, meaning getting demons out of your house. Now, at this point, I was at wit's end. 
I had studied in depth, you know, exorcism, deliverance ministry, how to get rid of demons, you know, from various deliverance ministers, but also using the Bible, you know, just studied the Bible itself. And uh, so I'm in my bedroom that night and I cannot sleep. It's between three and four in the morning. And um, I got up and went to the restroom. It was in my foyer at the top of the stairs. And now, again, I lived alone with my cats. That was it. My dogs are outside. It's not, you know, they're not in the house. And plain as day when I'm in the bathroom, I hear knock, knock on the bathroom door. Two knocks, very loud. And it shocked me. I started to say what? Because that's like a natural reaction. Somebody knocks on the door and you say what, you know? And uh, it's before I could even get that fully out, my mind's racing and I'm thinking, my door is locked. My security system is armed. I'm the only one with the code. My mom lives three counties away from me. It can't be her. What in the world, you know? And 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 you know, my gut instinct was this is paranormal. And I started rebuking it and and saying spiritual warfare prayers, uh, meaning I was saying, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I command you to get out of my house and Jesus name, get out of my house, you know, and I bind you, but I'm yelling that and all that's because I mean, this is an aggressive situation and I'm like very caught off guard. I was in, you know, under so much fear that I'm yelling that, but all that is coming out is a whisper because my, I'm so scared. I, I can't get anything to come out. So I'm basically yelling, but all, all it's coming out is I bind you in Jesus name, you know, while I'm yelling. And then uh, I was like, you know, what if somebody is in my house? You know, I started thinking I'm going to stay in the, in the bathroom until the sun comes up. Um, and and I, I kept trying to think, well, what time does the sun come up? And then eventually I'm like, there might be somebody in my house. I have to go out there. So I looked through my closet. I found a pair of barber shears that I could use for a weapon if I needed to. I uh, went to open the bathroom door. And as I'm reaching for the door handle, I'm like, okay, wait a second. You don't know what you're going to see when you open that door. If it's spiritual, if it's a demon, whatever, you cannot run from it because you can't run from a spirit. You can't physically fight it because it's a spirit. So I I cemented in my mind, no matter what I see, I'm going after it. And I am quoting scripture and I'm taking biblical authority over it. I don't care if I'm scared. We're going to fight. You know, I open the door. There's nothing. There's no, everything's quiet. There's no one there. I called my mother and I said, look, I said, I'm sorry for calling so late, but I explained what happened. And she had had many experiences in the house when she had come to visit me. And she said, those stinking demons, I'll never forget her saying that. And I said, look, I said, here's the deal. I'm going to search my entire house with my shotgun because I have to make sure somebody's not in my house. And I said, I just want somebody on the phone as a witness. And I said, if, if I end up hanging up quick, you call 911, you know, uh, and get somebody here. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to find my shotgun shells. I can't find them. And uh, she says, you're not going to need them. It's not a person. I said, I know that, but I have to take precautions. So I found my shells, loaded my shotgun. I went through that entire house, top to bottom, every closet, everything. There was no one there. There was frost on the ground. There was no uh, footprints leading away from the house. There was nothing. The doors were locked. The security system was armed. So, you know, that, that experience, the next day I called the realtor 
and I was really upset and I, I, I let her have it. And I told her, you tell that cult not to ever contact me again. And I told her what happened. I said, you know, I told you when I hired you a year and a half ago that this stuff was going on out here and that the Amish were involved. And you agreed with me that you knew those things go on. I said, so, uh, you know, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before, but I said, I am convinced that what just happened to me last night um, is related to me telling them I wouldn't deal with them anymore yesterday. And I said, did you tell them what I said? And she said, yes. Well, and I, I said, you use these words, you tell them they're a cult that I said, they're a cult and to not, not mess with me again. And I said, you tell her, tell them those exact words. Cause I was upset. So, um, basically, uh, she tells them <laughs> her business partner calls me, you know, reading me the riot act for not dealing with these people. And I said, did something knock on your bathroom door in the middle of the night last night? And she says, no. And I said, then you don't have any business telling me what I need to do or not do. I said, uh, I know what I'm doing and I don't want anything to do with them. You know, so I stood my ground as it turned out shortly thereafter, there were multiple steps I'm leaving out for time's sake, but I, uh, I had multiple steps that led me basically to a point, I believe it was in November. And I, I mean, it got to the point where I was having things moving in the house that, you know, that how that could not have happened, but it just did, you know, terrifying experiences, you know, even somebody that had come to a point of having a very good grasp on spiritual warfare and biblical authority, the demons still have the element of surprise when they do something you're not expecting. And it does scare you, you know? So um, I end up coming into contact with a girl that I went to grade school with and I knew she was a Christian. I hadn't talked to her in years. I mean, a very long time, but I'd seen her around and I figured she was a Christian. Cause I always, it always seemed like she was wearing Christian t-shirts and things when I saw her. So she contacted me out of the blue and we started, you know, on Facebook and we started talking and I, I just kind of got to where I was. I was at a point where I didn't care if people thought I was crazy. Um, I was really going through this and I was going to talk about it, you know, and I told her what I was experiencing and she said, um, here's my phone number. Call me. I need to talk to you. So I called her and she said, look, I believe everything you're saying. I've had experiences in the past. I believe you, but where is your house? When I explained where my house was, she said, well, that's interesting. My husband was adopted by an Amish family, but he never joined the church. And she said, he was raised right down the road from where your house is. She said, I'm going to, I'll talk to him and I'll see if he knows anything that could help you. So a few days later, they called me uh, back and Dennis, her husband's name was Dennis. Her name was Angela. And I use their real names. <laughs> you know, they, I, I was very thankful and I, I'm always going to be thankful to them for what they did for me. But uh, he, he, he gets on the phone and he says, uh, look, Patrick, he said, uh, Angie thinks that you're going through this haunting because the Amish are practicing witchcraft against you. And I said, yeah, that's what I suspect. And he said, well, I'll guarantee you they are. <laughs> he goes, that goes on out there. That's all true. But he said, um, you have a much bigger problem. He said, the land you built your house on is cursed. He proceeds to tell me the, the much more history of that land than I ever even dreamed and how there was a treaty line that ran. He said it might even be on your property. It's very close to your house for sure. And he said, you know, I was raised Amish. They told me the history, but he said they're never going to tell you. And he said that 
you know, many, many, you know, actually two centuries earlier, uh, there was a treaty between the American Indians and the American government. And the Indians kept violating the treaty. So, and, and there were people killed out there. There were battles out there. There were even battles fought on my land. I found out that my land, because of that large creek just below my property, my land was actually where a lot of the Indian uh, camps were, where they lived, you know, was right on my land that I built a house on then. There were battles fought there. The Amish did tell me that, that there were battles and people died out there. But he told me, uh, Dennis said, um, when the Indians lost the land because they didn't abide by the treaty, they cursed everything. And he said, you built your house on cursed land. So I went back and I researched as much as I could. I found out that the treaty line actually just ran a couple hundred yards from my front door out in front of my house. I was on the side that had belonged to the Indians. So in December, Dennis and Angela, now keep in mind, I had had another group from another church try to help me. Um, It really did not really help other than I found out a couple more clues, but it, it was not successful. And uh, so they came in December, I believe it was on a Tuesday afternoon. And the, the two of them, we walked and, and myself, we walked the whole property. We did basically an exorcism on the house and the property. I did everything I could possibly think that needed dealt with as far as uh, renouncing curses, breaking curses, binding demons, you know, all this, of course, in Jesus name. And something else I had learned about, and I thought, you know, I don't even know what all they did to curse the land, but the Indians were good at cursing. Ask, you know, a lot of dead American presidents, because a lot, if you've ever heard of the zero year curse where all these presidents died, if they were elected in a year ending in a zero, that all goes back to Tecumseh and a curse he pronounced on American presidents. So I was well aware they knew how to curse. And so something I did, I took, we took communion. I then not only did we take the communion, I poured the, the grape juice and the, the wafer on the ground. And I said, in Jesus name, that represents the blood of Christ. You cannot stand against it. You are leaving. We're not taking no for an answer. And, you know, and the three of us stood in agreement. We prayed over the house and the property from that day forward. I did not have a paranormal experience in the house. They had experiences that night. Other people came that night and took guitar lessons. When they left, they had experiences after they left the property. Um, and, and, and all these all these things are detailed and documented in the book in great detail. But uh, as it turned out, after that exorcism, the house sold so quickly that within 60 days of the day we did the exorcism, I was moved. I had sold the house. It, it, the, the, uh, the sale closed. I moved on to a new house. And I bought, I was, I was scrambling because the people who bought the house wanted me out quickly. And I moved into another house in Tuscarawas County, not Holmes County. And uh, that was a couple counties away from where I had been living. And I bought an old house. They had a lot going for it. It was a two-story brick house, had a large yard, like a double lot. It was all fenced in with chain link fence. It had, um, multiple had two detached garages one of them was massive you could fit park a couple rvs in there it was very large garage and uh another detached garage at the back and i thought okay this house it's an older house i'm you know 
I'm not used to living in an old house, but that's fine. I'm just happy to, that my nightmare is over. So this house was located at 225th Street in this small town. Like my second, or uh, actually, I'm sorry, my first night in the house, this would have been in the very end of February, 2010. I moved in. I did not have time to even set my bedroom up in this other house. So I just slept on the floor in a small bedroom upstairs. Me and my cats were just laying there and I'm staring at this closet door and I'm looking at the woodwork. And I thought, you know, I'm thinking about nothing, but boy, whoever built this house really, you know, went all out on the woodwork. They did a good job with the, you know, their, their craftsmanship. That's all I was thinking. And all of a sudden out of the blue, now I believe this was the Holy spirit speaking to me. I heard a voice inside my own head say to me, you don't know anything about the history of this house. And then I thought to myself, that's true. I don't know anything about the history of this house. And I said a couple of warfare prayers, you know, like I had learned to pray in Holmes County and I went to sleep. Things began to happen in at 225th street that I could not explain. Um, same kind of things. Um, you know, it, it got to the point where I, I'd even said to my mother one day, if I didn't know any better, I would think something followed me from Holmes County. I know it didn't because that exorcism was complete. It was, uh, you know, it was a complete victory. Nothing followed me, but something doesn't seem right here. And I had told her that um, at one point, you know, I just said, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would swear something followed me. Uh, strange things began happening in that house one night, which I believe was March 1st, 2010. I came home from work. I went upstairs. I opened the bedroom, my bedroom door and my bed was sitting crooked. It was sitting at an angle differently than I had had it sitting when I left for work. So, you know, when I bought the house, I have a cousin that's an electrician and a handyman, and I had hired him to come in and do some work for me. And he like he had installed a satellite TV outlet in that bedroom. Uh, that was as soon as I moved in, he did that. So this is like a week after I moved in and he had been done. You know, he did that like right off the bat. But I convinced myself, well, my cousin must have come in and checked his work and he moved my bed for some reason. He didn't need to. He had room to get to that, that outlet, but that's all it is. I'll ask him about it tomorrow, and he'll tell me he did it and say, hey, sorry, I forgot to put your bed back. That's all it is. So I straightened my bed. I laid down in bed. And as I went to try to sleep, I had what I believe was a vision. It was not like my normal thought process in any way. Um, it was like I was suddenly standing outside of the bedroom door looking down the stairs. And what I was seeing was crystal clear, um, an image that was very colorful, very sharp definition. And I saw a hooded figure coming up the stairs and the hooded figure looked like an old man. He looked like he was dead. He had the complexion of a dead, a dead person. And he was coming up the stairs. He was somewhat round shouldered, like almost slouching. And he had a creepy grin on his face. And I thought, you know, I opened my eyes and I thought, what in the world was that? You know, and uh, I shut my eyes. There it was again. Every time I shut my eyes, I, it was like I was back standing outside the bedroom door looking down the stairs. 
And I, and I kept thinking to myself, okay, I know when you're scared, your mind will picture scary things or whatever. I'm not scared. I know we'll move my bed. I'm, I, I know that that's how this happened. You know, it's not paranormal. And, you know, I shut my eyes. There it is again. So just as a precaution, I said another spiritual warfare prayer. And I, and I basically just generically renounced any sin that had ever happened in the house and bound the demons, you know. And uh, I shut my eyes. It, it didn't happen anymore. It was over. I went to sleep. I told four people about that experience. I told uh, the, the girl I was dating. I told her oldest son. We had pizza one night and we were sitting in a restaurant and I told him the experience. And I told my best friend and I told my mother. And every time I told the story, I said, I'm sure there's nothing to this. Uh, you know, there's, there's definitely nothing to this, but uh, I can't explain it, you know, but there's no way this house is haunted. What are the chances I could have two haunted houses in a row? There's, there's no way. Well, the following weekend, my neighbor comes over, comes over on Saturday, introduces himself. Seems like a very nice guy. Goes back home on Sunday. My mom and my sister, my brother-in-law stopped to visit me and we're standing on the porch talking and this neighbor comes back over with his girlfriend this time. And uh, he, he welcomes me to the community and he says, you know, we all help each other. If you need anything, you let us know. We, everybody around here helps each other. And it was a very close knit little town, you know? And uh, I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And he said, well, that's the good news now for the bad news. And at that point, uh, I knew what he was going to say. And I looked right at him and I said, you're going to tell me my house is haunted. And his eyes got big, his mouth dropped open. And he said, yeah, man, it is. Some dude killed himself in your basement a long time ago. And I looked at my mom and I said, I told you. And my sister standing there saying, what is he talking about? Not again, not again. What's he talking about? You know? And my mom's looking at her saying, he told me he thought something was going on, you know? And I, at that point was very confident. We'll deal with this. I said, Hey, look, I'm a Christian. I had this in another house. We will deal with it. You know? And he said, well, he said, I have other things to tell you, but I'll save it for later. I got to get back home. And he left at that point. I knew, like, I knew I was to write, you know, I was already going to write and I had started writing a book about my experiences in Holmes County. At that point, when I was made aware that the house at 225th Street was haunted, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was to write about that house first. The title of the book was to be 225th Street, and I was to put the other book about Holmes County on the back burner and release it later, and I was to put all my energy into researching this haunting, so that's what I did. And what is documented in 225th Street is the details of not only my experiences in the house, but I went back and I tracked down all the information I could find at that time about the suicide. I confirmed there was a suicide in the house. Interestingly enough, the suicide occurred on March 1st, 1958, when the owner of the house who had built the house went to the basement, shot himself in the head in a root cellar. Okay, so what are the chances I have a vision, March 1st, 2010, of a hooded figure that looks like an old man? Uh, as it turned out, it looked like the old man who had killed himself in the house. I do wow. not believe it was a ghost. I believe it was a demon uh, that was involved in the suicide. 
and was given a legal right because of this suicide to be in the house. And I believe that uh, that demon was manifesting as, you know, that that individual. But uh, it, it, it was, you know, too big of a coincidence to ignore. But I put all my time into I mean, I researched and wrote that book from that time that I was living there, which was uh, 2010. I lived there from March to June. I moved back out because we, you know, as as is detailed in the book, we attempted an exorcism. It did not work. I came to realize there's more secrets about this house that I do not know that I need to know, because I do believe the more uh, precise and detailed you are in doing deliverance, the more complete the deliverance will be. If you're very, if you can be more specific, you can address deeper rooted spiritual issues and uh, get rid of them, you know? And at that point, I realized we began being attacked during the exorcism, you know, very strange things happened during that attempted exorcism including it felt like the house's temperature dropped substantially. I believe it was what Ed Warren called a psychic cold. It was like you felt a bone chilling cold, regardless of what the thermostat said, you know, but we all, all all people present in the attempted exorcism felt this. We all had uh, various levels of attack. So I continued the research, but I came to the conclusion in June or probably in May you know what, even if I get the demons to leave this house, when I, you know, find out more secrets that I need to know about this place. Every day when I walk down my stairs and I walk down the stairs into the basement, I think about on March 1st, 2010, or I'm sorry, on March 1st, 1958, the guy who built this house walked this same path to the basement with a gun in hand and shot himself. I'm always going to be haunted by that thought, you know, even if, even if I'm no longer haunted by the demons, I'm going to be haunted by those thoughts. And I don't like that. I don't want to live here. So I went back to the realtor who was uh, selling me the house and he owned it. He, he bought it at a sheriff sale and was flipping it. And I told him, I said, I'm backing out of this sale. Uh, there's details in the book, why this, that, that had not closed yet. The, uh, that, that transaction had not closed, but I said, you know, I will buy another house that you have listed, but I'm not going to live here. And so I did, I backed out and I moved out. I I was there altogether three months and it was not a nice, (laughs) nice three months. It was not an environment where I got uh, restful sleep. You know, there, there were a lot of experiences in the house, but even as I wrote to 25th street, you know, I'm living in another house at that time as I'm writing continuing research, you know, um, I released that book and I believe it was September 1st. 2011. Uh, originally, um, it was published by Crown of Thorns Publishing, which was that was my own publishing company. And uh, even leading up to the release of the book, there was paranormal experiences that not only I had, but it seemed like anyone who helped me in any way with the book, whether they edited the book or they proofread the book, uh, they had experiences. And very strange experiences they could not explain. And when I would do interviews for the book, oftentimes it was pretty much the, the regular normal thing. When I would do interviews, the people interviewing me would be plagued by paranormal experiences. And I, I believe that is because when, you know, I, I don't just write books to scare people or entertain people. I think that's a part of it because I do think that 
these kind of situations are interesting. Um, I believe God has put that in us to have a, um, a hunger for the spiritual, but mostly for truth. You know, I believe God put, puts a, a measure of faith in everyone. And we have an interest because, you know, Christianity is spiritual. It's that simple. And I believe everything in the world is spiritual in one way or another, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't write though, just to, you know, share paranormal experiences and scare people. I write, uh, you know, I will share those, those details, but I write to share truth. And I, I, I don't think you could read either Nightmare in Holmes County or uh, 225th Street and not have a very good grasp on if you're experiencing something like this, you would understand how to deal with it. Uh, you know, you would know um, this is what I need to do to get rid of this, you know. So that is the, the reason I, I really wrote the book. I wanted to share the truth about my experiences, but also share truth to help others be delivered. Um, Nightmare in Holmes County was released then in 2015 at the beginning of the year. I believe it was February 2015. And then uh, I was contacted in 2020 uh, by Beyond the Fray Publishing about uh, rewriting. They, actually, they wanted to just release the books. Uh, again, under the, under their publishing company. And I, I felt like, well, I need to, I know there's more to these stories. There's things that have continued since the books were released. And if I'm going to do these books again, uh, these new details need to be added. And they agreed. So I went back and added a lot of details and a lot of information to Nightmare in Holmes County that was released early, uh, I believe January of 2021. And then uh, 225th Street was released in March of 2021, and both have many chapters added. In, in the case of 225th Street, there are details. I went back and dug out all my research notes from 2010 and 2011, and I compared them with things I was able to uncover now. With you know the advances in technology, I could find things that I could not find before. I didn't even know where to look. And now, you know, this many years later, 10 years later, I'm able to, to, to find these things. And, and, and I found a lot of details that now explain in greater detail uh, and, and in greater depth, uh, the haunting, what led to the haunting, you know, how the haunting has unfortunately continued, how other people who lived in the house, even before me, who all felt that what was there followed them when they left, you know, how that impacted their lives. All these stories are continued in the uh, the second editions that what's available now. Wow. Wow. Okay, let's take a second and talk about our last sponsor today, which is Simply Safe Friends. We've been talking about Simply Safe for over a year now. They're great friends of the show, and I'm telling you right now, they got a great deal for you. It seems like every time I do a commercial for Simply Safe, they have a great deal. And right now, if you have ever wanted to make your home feel safer, then there is no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving the Confessionals listeners early access to all their Black Friday deals, which is 50% off of their award-winning home security systems. Listen, friends, I love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home feel safe. Indoor, outdoor cameras, 
which I've talked about before because I just put on four outdoor cameras on my house and they're working great. And guess what? This entire system is monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need help. Simply Safe was even named the best home security system of 2021 by the US News and World Report. And these are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting just over a hundred dollars. Take advantage of Simply Safe's early Black Friday deals and get 50% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com slash confessionals. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash confessionals for 50% off your entire system. There is no better time to secure your home than right now. Okay, so Patrick, that is, wow. Uh, I, I can't imagine how you would have felt going from one house to the other and still dealing with it and having to come to the realization that what you thought was over and you were leaving behind you is no longer the case and you had to deal with something else completely. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, and you just said this uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned about how when you would do interviews, the interviewers would have weird things happening. What what kind of weird things would happen to people who are interviewing you? Um, I'll give you an example. I uh, I believe I was on Late Night in the Midlands in uh, 2011 or early 2012. And, you know, they told me, that they were, they had weird things happening that and they said, these are the same kind of things that happened when we interviewed Bill Bean and Bill Bean was on a haunting before, you know, he's been on a lot of TV shows regarding haunting and whatnot. And the, you know, they, the technical so-called difficulties, but other strange things. One in one incident in particular, that was very strange. Well, when, well, first of all, when I was doing that interview, we took a commercial break. I went to the restroom. So I'm interviewing from my office in my home. I, I leave my office. I walk down the hall. I walk right before you go into my bedroom. There's a linen closet that is built into the wall. It latches shut. You know, it's got one of those old fashioned little latches. When you shut the doors, you have to put tug on them a little bit to open it. I go in, you know, use the restroom, come back out to go back to my office. And when I come back out of my bedroom, the linen closet door is open. I'm like, well, that's, <laughs> that figures, but you know, that's impossible. You know, um, I personally had many experiences. Um, I'll give you another example though. There was a, an individual named Will Zariski, who is a private investigator in Florida. Very nice guy. I've been friends with him since that time we became friends. Uh, he interviewed me. He had a, a radio program called the informant. And he interviewed me about the, my book and about spiritual warfare. And uh, he contacted me after that. And he said, uh, I need to talk to you, you know, and I, I don't go into great detail about some of the things we discussed, but there was a lot of spiritual warfare and very deep rooted things we, we discussed regarding, you know, uh, deliverance ministry. I had another interview the following night and uh, Will contacts me and, you know, uh, he's like, you're not going to believe this. I have to talk to you right away. So when I finished the other, the other interview, I got a hold of Will and he said, uh, 
I went to my office today and he said, I know this is because of what we talked about. He said, I walked in and he said there was like a, a, a plastic bin. That he had paperwork or some kind of information. In. And he said he, he stepped into his office and that box started sliding right across the floor towards him by itself. And he said the crazy part, I heard what sounded like a snake hissing. And um, he said, you know, because of what we talked about, I immediately said, I rebuke you in Jesus name. And it stopped. But he said, there is no doubt in my mind that it was an attack because you were sharing truth with me about how to get deliverance completely and how to, you know, how to engage in spiritual warfare, you know, and, um, you know, things like that, you know, there, there were many experiences like that. I'll give you an example, you know, as the book has been re-released, I was on a, a Horsefly Chronicles radio program. Now, this is all with the new edition. This is all recent things I'm, that I'm going to share right now. Uh, the, I was interviewed on a program called the Horsefly Chronicles radio and uh, the hosts are husband and wife. They uh, they've had, they, they lived through very similar experiences as, as what I have. And all kinds of very strange technical difficulties kept happening during the program. But they told me, they said, this is not just technical difficulties. They said certain things that you have said when you say them, he, he said, we have a light that is across the room from us. It was like, I mean, quite a distance from across the room. And he said, you said something and that light popped and like blew out. It quit working. It was like the light bulb was shot. He said, when we came back, you know, we, we got the, the, the program got kicked off the air. He said that bulb should have been shot. It just burned out, you know, but it actually popped and, and quit working. He said, when we started interviewing you again, when we got everything straightened around and got back in the chat room, he said multiple times when you're saying something, that light starts flickering on and off again. He said, it has never happened any other time ever. He said, I'm convinced that this happened is happening because of what you're saying. And he said, you, you know, demons don't like what you're saying basically is what his point was. You know, that was just recently, that was just over the summer. I did a program, um, a few months back and, uh, the host of the program contacts me. We, we pre-recorded the show. He contacts me really late one night. I'm laying in bed and I, I'm a night person. That's just all there is to it. I stay up late. I do my best writing at night. I do my best research at night. That's just how I am. Same here. And uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that's wired to, to work at night, I guess. And uh, he sends me a message and a uh, really nice guy. He said, um, I'm sorry to bother you so late, but I need to, I need to talk to you. And I said, let me guess you're, you're editing the program and you are uh, having experiences. And he said, yeah, absolutely. He said, I'm going to send you. He said, I think I just found some EVPs on the interview. He said, I'm going to send them to you and you tell me if you hear anything. So he sends me the first clip, which is um, just now he recorded, he recorded us on separate tracks. My audio was on one track, fully isolated as just my audio. His audio was recorded on a second track, fully isolated from me. I'm sharing in the interview, he, he sends me the full audio, which is both of our tracks together first. 
And, and I'm talking about something that I found out when I was researching a second time, you know, for the second edition of 225th Street, I found a newspaper article. Now, to me, this is very strange considering the history of this house. I found a newspaper article from early 1924 announcing that this individual who built the house was going to be building the house. It was a one paragraph article in the local newspaper. Why was that newsworthy? I don't know. I know in the olden days, you know, maybe news was slow. I don't know. But the the building of that house was announced ahead of time in the paper. You know, considering what has happened in that house and two people who lived in that house, you know, I'm just not so sure that that wasn't, you know, the devil announcing his trophy he was going to be so proud of because he knew what he was going to do, you know. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that when he's interviewing me on this other program, when I mentioned that I hesitated after I said it and, you know, for there's like a few seconds and then he responds in that few seconds, you can hear something. So he isolated my track. And when I finished talking and I hesitated before anything else is said, you heard a deep voice go. Jesus, like that. No explanation for it. I didn't say it. He was on in a completely separate track, you know, but you clearly heard it's an EVP that says Jesus. And it's, it sounds like a demonic voice. Do you have any thoughts as to why it would say Jesus? I mean, it seems. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think it was, uh, you know, you, you always have the thing of them mocking, but at the same time, I think they know, okay, that's the authority I'm speaking through. You know, that's the authority I, I, I make my claims through. You know, I, I, I don't just do like a lot of people and say, we don't know what causes the paranormal and it's dead people or, you know, uh, uh, residual energy. I don't say any of that. I say, no, this is demonic because the, you know, the, the world in, in the history of the world, everything. It, it comes down to one thing. There's a force of good and there's a force of evil. The force of good is God, Jesus, the angels, the Holy Spirit, the saints, you know, the, the people who follow God, the forces of evil or anyone outside of that, you know, even, even good people who are not saved, unfortunately, spiritually speaking, they're not on the right side. Even they, even though they might be a good, honest, hardworking, decent person, they ha- you have to be born again, you know? And you have to be paid for and bought by the blood of Jesus. You know, he already paid the price. We just have to accept it. But um, that's the authority I speak through. When I speak, I, you know, I'm not just sharing the, uh, you know, paranormal stories and whatnot. I, I have a purpose. And I believe that that demon was acknowledging that. I do believe that was the case, you know. Uh, so that is my take on why it said that, you know, that that is the authority through which I I speak and share my the, the truth of my, of what I've experienced, you know, you know, uh, Patrick, I, I gotta tell you something, man. Uh, you can add me to the list of people who've interviewed you that have had weird things happen. Uh, okay. I today, uh, this just happened this morning. I, uh, and I'm hoping it's not happening right now because I'm hearing a lot of thudding up in my kitchen and usually my wife's pretty quiet when she doesn't recording. So I'm hoping yeah. nothing, nothing uh, is happening, but, um, this morning, so I, I'm typically like you, where I tend to be up late at night working on things, and I've been trying to get out of the habit, but I didn't do a great job last night, and so I wanted to try to sleep in to about seven seven thirty today, just to make sure I was awake enough for the interview tonight. Mm-hmm. And um, 
my wife and I, uh, my wife woke up at 622 this morning, uh, and, uh, she, she saw that my son was laying on the floor next to our, our bed covered up in blankets sleeping. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she went back to sleep and at 637, the door to our bedroom that was open about two feet slammed shut and it woke both of us up. She looks at the floor to see if Ben's still laying there and he was. And I looked at her and I was like, what was that? And she's like, the door just slammed. And I'm I'm laying there trying to figure, was it a draft? Did the heat kick on or something like that? But the heat was kicking on and off all night. So, I mean, it would have done it earlier in the night instead of six something in the morning. Yeah. And I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you uh, talk about the other people who've had experiences talking to you and stuff. And it just made me feel like, I wonder if there was something intentional there to try to stop the interview in the sense that um, I, when I woke up that early, I was extremely tired. And the fir- one of my first thoughts was, dang it, I got a freaking interview at eight o'clock tonight and mm-hmm. I'm going to be exhausted for it. And I, and, yeah. and I even said to Lindsay, I said, I don't know. We'll see how, like this, I said to her like early this morning, like before seven o'clock, I, I said to her, I don't know what we'll to see how the day goes and stuff. I mean, if I'm too tired, I don't want to bomb an interview just because I'm tired. And I was, yeah. I was thinking about maybe reaching out to you to say, Hey, you know, could we reschedule? And, uh, and then probably around like 11 or something like that. I was like, now nah, I'm just going to do this interview and, and we're going to do it. Uh, but yeah. now, now I'm sitting here listening to you talk and stuff, and I wonder if that was almost an attempt to make me tired in order to prevent the interview from happening. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this. Um, I'm sure they knew your, your perspective. I'm sure they know my perspective. And I say they, I'm talking spirit, spirits. They know my perspective. They pretty much know what I'm going to say, you know. Um, they don't want this truth out there. They do not. You know, you don't fight the devil and he just lays down and lets you win because you have authority. He's still going to fight with you. He's still going to mess with you. You know, if I if I ever documented every experience that I have had in my current house, you would think my house is haunted. It is not. But I've had experiences because you get messed with, you know, um, TVs turning on by themselves, you know, weird things like this. You know, I've had many experiences like this. And, uh, and, and it's generally, for the most part, it is when I'm engaged heavily in, you know, what is warfare, which is, you know, even the writing, because I'm sharing truth. You know, I, I want to bring a point up that you just mentioned, because uh, I have had some things happen in my house over the years. Uh, nothing too major or anything like that. I wouldn't say like I, I wound up walking up the wall backwards on my, my fingers and toes, you know, uh, <laughs> but like I, I've had things happen and I've always said to people in the audience and I've said to my wife, I don't think my house is haunted. Uh, I, I just think that things have happened in our house and partly because of what I do and the the spiritual warfare that goes on with that. And, I, and I'm actually really, I find it actually comforting to hear you say that, that you, that you feel the same way with that, because um, I personally feel like there is a much larger reason uh, that I have a successful podcast outside of entertaining people once a week. Yes. And um, I've gotten emails from people over the years that say how much the show has impacted them on a spiritual level. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I know that there's, there's, there, there's that aspect of things. Um, and because of that, I do feel like 
the only reason, because I'm an entrepreneur and I've tried doing entrepreneurial things my entire life and I've failed at everything. I'm a bad entrepreneur. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have great visions, but the execution usually isn't all there. Uh, yeah. But this is the only thing that's ever taken off for me. And I think it's not an accident. I think I, I think it, it, it's basically what I'm trying to say is I think it's out of my hands and I think it was mm-hmm. destined to, to succeed. And yeah. so like sometimes I'll, I'll get commentary from uh, people who are maybe new to me or the show and they'll hear that I'll say something about something happening in my house. And they're like, well, get rid of the demons in your house and accept Jesus in your life. I'm like, I am 100% team Jesus. And they're like, then why yeah. do you have demons in your house? I'm like, do you think that like do you think that when you join team Jesus the like it's like a basketball game you know it's like yep. if you're if you're actually playing on on one team and you're not being on the bench where you're not a problem the other team's going to try defending you you know like, Absolutely. And so like I, I just think it's funny how people kind of like think that oh well I I become a Christian I accept Jesus that means nothing's ever going to happen to me it's like no you just painted a big red target on your back that's what you just did Absolutely. Uh, and you know what? I remember many years ago, I was teaching, and, and it's some of the stuff I share in, in uh, Nightmare in Holmes County just briefly, but I was teaching an adult Sunday school class in a Wesleyan church. And, um, I, you know, I'm all, I, I really have a, a lot of respect for uh, the, John Wesley and the history there. And I mean, his, his, his ministry included a lot of casting out demons. And it's funny because you don't really see that much in the Methodist and Nazarene churches. Uh, and Wesleyan churches nowadays, you know, you don't, and you don't see it hardly anywhere, but John Wesley did it. It's that simple. He did. And, um, I was, te- I was attending this church and, and the, the pastor had asked me to teach an adult Sunday school class. And I kept thinking, you know, me, you know, I'm going to tell it straight. You know, I'm, I'm going to be polite and kind, but I'm going to tell it straight. You know? So he kept asking me, I eventually did it. And there was one individual that just was a real, he was a problem. He caused a lot of issues in, in, in the class and he just very, very troublesome individual. And uh, one point I was sharing with them that, you know, when you, when you are preaching truth, when you're teaching truth, you will be attacked. And I said, um, I said, the, but the Bible, I said, we should expect it because the Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that individual looks at me and says, well, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not being persecuted. (laughs) And I looked at him and I just repeated it. But I said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. (laughs) You know, but it's like he just ratted on himself. He just said he's not living godly in Christ Jesus. You know, but the reason I say that, okay, that persecution isn't just mean people. It's people that are spiritually motivated, whether they know it or not, that are going to persecute you. They may have no clue they're spiritually motivated, but they are. And guess what else? You're going to be persecuted through spirits other ways as well. You know, there will be attempts made to stop you, you know, and here's the other thing, like somebody says that to you. um, What about the apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul repeatedly wrote things like, you know, I, I, you know, he'd be writing to one of the churches and he would say, I wanted to come back to you again, you know, because he traveled around and preached, you know, and he said, but Satan hindered me. Okay, so if the great Apostle Paul could be hindered by Satan, certainly we can be or uh, the messenger of Satan, the thorn in the flesh that, that Paul suffered, you know, that was a messenger of Satan. Uh, you know, it's, it's, 
people who don't understand that, I'm sorry, what are what threat are you to the kingdom of darkness? I, I'm just going to say you need to reevaluate <laughs> what you're doing, because if you are a threat, you are going to be attacked. You know, it's that simple. Yeah. And that's just the way I looked at it. Uh, I look at it for, you know, many years now. Um, and it, it's just uh, the way I, I I come from a basketball background. So I just equate it to the game of basketball. And it's like, yeah. if you're sitting on a bench like they're not going to guard you. But as soon as you get in the game and you actually start playing some offense, that's when the other team starts guarding you and you notice yep. that they're there in front of your face. And so uh, it, it's it's so funny that you said that, though, about that guy, because I was just like, he's on the bench. He's on the bench. And he doesn't, exactly. even, he doesn't even realize it, you know. Uh, but man, Patrick, I could talk to you forever, but I'm going to end this interview right now with uh, allowing you to share with the audience about your books again, the titles of the books, where they can find them. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to you and I think we could definitely do it again sometime. Yeah, I would love to. It's been very nice being on your program. I greatly appreciate that you had me on the program. Again, I definitely love to do it again. Uh, my books are, uh, and again, they've been re-released as second editions, which are much more updated than the originals. Um, uh, 225th Street, that's the number 220 and then 5th Street spelled out. Um, and nightmare in Holmes County. Uh, they are, they are currently on Amazon available as uh, paperback and Kindle. I will be working on more books. I'm researching now for another one that will be released later called shadows and light, which will share multiple stories of uh, people being delivered from demons. It's that simple, you know, uh, it, it's going to have multiple stories in there. Um, but right now, currently, 225th Street, Nightmare in Holmes County uh, are both available at uh, Amazon.com for Kindle and download and paperback. Um, I am on Facebook. Uh, if you want to send a friend request and a message just saying that you heard me on this program or whatever, you know, so I know who you are. But uh, again, you can contact me through Facebook as well. That's awesome. Everybody should definitely check out these books. And if you have bought his books in the past, these are the second edition, which means there's a lot of new information in there. You're going to want to check it out because if you like this interview, I promise you these two books are going to have tons more information in it. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much, man. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, Share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show. And what do you think about what me and my wife experienced in our bedroom? That was kind of weird to us. And we spent the whole day trying to figure out and debunk what happened to us. And we just arrived at the idea that it was paranormal. And maybe it was because I was gearing up to interview Patrick for this episode. It kind of makes sense to me. I want to hear what you think. So go ahead and comment on the post on Instagram for this episode or on this episode on the website in the comment section. Either one works for us. Thanks for being here, friends. Thanks for listening. And until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. Awakened from the forest in the depths of the abyss, this creature is a paradigm of time lost and time itself. It fears no one. It adheres to no rule that man can create. It forges its own path, and yet its path remains hidden from the world. The sphere of its existence is beyond most comprehension as it exudes its power quietly but transcendent. It needs no one's approval to exist, but yet its very existence is sought after by many. It watches, 
it learns, adapts to the ever-changing environment around it, even as the environment is wrought with corruption. It battles the corruption only when pressed or for the protection of others like it. It is a mirage that few will ever understand. It's a cornucopia of knowledge from an era long past. It's free. It's Bigfoot. My fantasies always consisted of making it big. My soul was nothing more than a bargaining chip. Marketing is what they tell you to do and what you're willing to give. Larking to the fullest extent. I don't wait, I shoot first like Han on a rodeo. And these people don't understand me like reading a Nokia and stretch thin. Like pulling an accordion, my heart ain't primordium. All these historians telling us lies, setting aside everything is medicalized. Politicians selling the ride, I better me die where the relevance lies. They're dressing alike, reptilians. My resilience is brilliant. I'm here to lead the rebellion on hellion, salient, alien with no melanin. I'm a yeti hiding from Armageddon. 